Chapter 1 of The Silver Bear. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by April H. The Silver Bear by Edna Adelaide Brown. Chapter 1. The Brown Cottage. Lucy and Dora and Merrill lived in a little brown cottage on the corner of the main street of a New England town. Across from the house was a drugstore. In November, when the nights grew cold, the druggist put hot water bottles in his window so the passerby would think how comfortable one would feel tucked into bed near his toes when the holidays were coming. The window showed boxes of candy and bright holly berries. When it was time to clean house, mothballs and camphor reminded people to put away their muffs and winter clothes. But when this story begins, it was early summer and the window held a number of sherbet glasses filled with soft white stuff, like that on Christmas trees with red cherries on top. Lucy and Dora considered this quite the most delightful display the druggist had ever shown. On the other corner of the street stood a long low brick building used as a printing office. The children's father was foreman of the printing room. Nearest its big windows was a wonderful machine into one end of which a man fed blank pieces of paper. At the other end they came out as neatly printed and folded pamphlets. The children sometimes saw their father directing one or another of the dozen busy working men, or sometimes he was seated at the big linotype machines across the room, a machine which Lucy and Dora believed could almost think for itself. It did such wonderful things. Each of the little girls owned a thin metal strip forming a single line of print made by this machine. Lucy's strip had her name, Lucy S. Merrill, and Dora's read Dora Merrill. The letters on these strips were all backwards, so as to make it read the right way when the type was used for printing. You will see how this must be if you hold a book up to a mirror. The children also owned an indelible ink pad, and they used these metal strips to mark their names on their underclothes and handkerchiefs. Farther down the street were more shops, and then the country began again until it came to a big city a few miles off. And where Main Street stretched away on the other side of the brown cottage, there were some doctor's offices, two garages, a church, and some beautiful big houses all the way up the long hill. Lucy and Dora went to that church, and one reason why they liked it was because their Uncle Dan sang in its choir. All along the two streets, which the children could see from the brown cottage, were great elms, and the houses were not packed tightly together, but stood apart in little yards with pretty flower beds. Farther up the hill, around the big houses, the gardens were very lovely indeed. The Merrill Cottage had been built a long time. Over 100 years ago, it was a farmhouse, and the smooth, wide street before it was only a narrow country road. When you went into the cottage, it was into the tiniest hall ever seen, only about a yard square. There was just space to step in, and then one really had to shut the door immediately, so there would be room to go somewhere else. The ceiling was so low that even a person who wasn't very tall could easily touch it. Directly before the entrance rose a stair so steep that going up was like climbing a ladder, and this stair led to two rooms, one where Lucy and Dora slept and the other belonging to Uncle Dan. On the walls of this entry, the paper showed gay little landscape pictures of a ship with all the sails spread, a castle before which walked ladies in queer old-fashioned dresses, and a park with deer and swans. This paper was as old as the house, and Mrs. Merrill was very proud of it. 
On opening the door at the left of the little square hall, you found yourself in the parlor, where the floor was painted dark green and the walls covered with a pretty pink and white paper. At the three windows hung clean muslin curtains, and while the furniture was rather shabby and worn, it was the kind that looked as though people enjoyed using it. The stove that heated the parlor was queer but nice, for it was not made of metal, but of gray soapstone, and was open all across the front, so it was just like having a fire on a hearth. Once a man who came to see Mr. Merrill on business wanted to buy that stove, and offered him a perfectly new, shiny iron, one in its place, but Mr. Merrill would not sell it. On cold nights, he liked to sit before it and popcorn for the little girls. Besides the stove, the room contained a piano and a case full of books. The piano was there because everybody in the family liked to gather around it and sing, and the books because Mr. Merrill liked them and wanted the children to have them to read. He was also very particular about their spelling. Being a printer, he understood that it makes a good deal of trouble if you put into a word a letter which doesn't belong there, or for that matter, leave one out. From the parlor, a door opened into the kitchen, which was always warm and sunny whenever the sun shone. From the kitchen, you could also step into the wee front hall through a door under the stairs. The last door in this hall opened into the bedroom, where Mr. and Mrs. Merrill slept. At the top of the cellar stairs was another tiny entry where the refrigerator lived and where Lucy and Dora kept their gardening tools. Behind the parlor and opening from the kitchen was the bathroom, and if this seems to you a queer place to put a bathroom, you must remember that this was a very old house, and as Mrs. Merrill said, it was much better to have a bath in an inconvenient place than to have none at all. End of chapter one. Recording by April H.